Welcome to the Volunteer Nation podcast, bringing you practical tips and advice on how to build, grow, and scale volunteer talent. I'm your host, Toby Johnson, and if you rely on volunteers to fuel your charity cause or movement, stay tuned. I made this podcast just for you. When I interview leaders of volunteers, I'm always surprised at how many people come from national service and internships before they even start their careers in nonprofits. Voluntary service is a pathway to employment, but not for a job where you volunteer, but rather as a career exploration tool. Some people catch the passion for nonprofit work during their volunteer experiences. So when we think about engaging students in service, We need to consider how to design experiences that both serve their learning and also serve our organization's needs. I think it also helps to approach student volunteers with an investment mindset to take the long view with the understanding that we are sowing the seeds for tomorrow's nonprofit leaders today. Our guest today has so much more to share about how we can make those mutually beneficial partnerships truly thrive. So without further ado, let's get started. Brian Halderman has over 20 years experience in community engagement in higher education, having served as the director of the Center for Civic Engagement at the University of Texas at San Antonio and the University Minister of Social Justice at St. Mary's University. He has experience as a faculty member teaching a range of courses in social work, sociology, and civic engagement. He currently serves as the Director of Success and Outreach with GivePulse. Actually, I should say Senior Director. uh, Senior Director of Success and Outreach at GivePulse, a civic tech firm that supports community engagement software for nonprofits, higher education, municipalities, and corporate partners. An active member at his local community, he serves as Chair of the Board of the San Antonio Community Resource Directory, an online resource of compassionate services offered by nonprofits, faith-based, and public sector organizations. A graduate of the University of Dayton with a BA in Religious Studies, he also holds a Master's in Social Work from Washington University in St. Louis. Brian is also, on top of all of that, a licensed Master Social Worker in the state of Texas. So welcome to the Volunteer Nation podcast, Brian. Thank you, Toby. So nice to be here. What a great introduction. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I think I fumbled a little bit, but I hope I did you justice. Yes, thank you very much. I am so excited to have you today because I, you know, we've been teaching inside the Volunteer Pro community. I think we talked about this last time we were on uh, on with each other just before we were, when we were prepping for this interview, I was talking about inside the volunteer pro community, we've been doing some training around service learning. And I was partnering with one of our members who, uh, has done some work actually setting standards for her, for, uh, secondary institute or yeah, secondary institutions throughout her state. And we were talking a lot about how things are evolving so quickly. Um, so I'm really excited to talk about this. And I think not all our nonprofits understand the true potential that is there when we partner with educational institutions. But before we get into all that good stuff, <laughs> why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you do? Sure. That'd be great. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think I'll start just by saying, you know, I was first introduced to the power of service learning 
Um, and what you know is often referred to now, I think we, we the terminology changes, and we'll talk more about that later. But community-based learning, um, you know, even as far back as high school, I can remember having a requirement to fulfill for service in high school, and uh, you know, being introduced to that experience, and then later in my undergrad years, uh, being involved in service learning, both on you know in an academic course as well as co-curricularly, and that really, I think propelled me to a career of service in, in many ways, as you mentioned at the top of the podcast. Um, and so I, I then went off to uh, get a master's in social work and really focus on sort of macro community empowerment and development. I spent a year in Peru uh, working, with, uh, working on my Spanish skills and working with students there, empowering them in volunteerism and service learning. Um, and so all of that, I think, has really led me to where I am today to, um, you know, have uh, the, the history, as you mentioned, working in higher education at the intersection of sort of service and learning um, and supporting students in various entities, both academic wise and courses, as well as also co-curricular. And now my work with Give Pulse, I think, you know, as you mentioned, we really are um, trying to help support communities to do this work well, to facilitate this work well and provide a platform to help that uh, come come together. And so it really is a merging of my own passions for community empowerment and compassionate service and education, um, and really looking at how we create a space to advance the common good together and do it well, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And your platform at Give Pulse, we'll, we'll link to links in the show notes so folks can explore more, but, but your platform really does well to create and provide a space for higher education and nonprofits to connect, which I think is really fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So let's go into learning-based volunteerism or community-based learning. It goes by so many names nowadays, you know, service learning, internships, work study, the list yep. goes on, right? I think this kind of volunteerism is also misunderstood. So let's kick it off with a definition. How do you define service learning or is there a better term that you think is more appropriate at this time? Yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, there's literally hundreds of definitions, I think. And if you if you do a sort of lit review on this, you'll find all kinds. <laughs> um, and, you know, and some some would say it's a pedagogy. Others would say it's an educational philosophy. Others might say a model for community development. Um, I really like it when somebody types out service learning with the hyphen between service and learning, because mm. I really think that illustrates the definition, right? It's a pedagogy that bridges or connects community service with the learning, right? And just that visual, when you see the word typed out um, with that hyphen in there, I think really, I, I tend to lean more. So Barbara Jacoby is a, a leading scholar in the field. I'm sure she's retired probably by now, but um, really was a leading scholar in higher ed service learning work. And she defines service learning as a form of experiential education in which students engage in activities that address human and community needs together with structured opportunities for reflection designed to achieve learning outcomes. So I think the key thing as we look at sort of common elements of all of these definitions, there's going to be a service component, right? There's some sort of academic classroom component, um, and there's reflection on that experience, right? And so those are kind of, I would say, the core elements of any good definition of service learning. 
Yeah, and I would agree. The reflection piece, I think, is the piece that uh, people often forget, mm -hmm. especially at the nonprofit side, because they're yes. not developing the curriculum usually, right? Or they may be in partnership with the the school, but usually they're designing the experience for the volunteer or the the service learner. So that's the area that I think is really interesting, that idea of reflection, because you re actually don't learn anything until you reflect on it. Right. And, and my challenge to the nonprofit partners is always to be co-educator in the experience and to feel empowered as the co-educator. And, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, I think. But I, I definitely think there's a role for the nonprofit to play in helping to facilitate student reflection and really achieving those learning outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. So I also think this kind of volunteerism has evolved over recent years. There's been, you know, as you said, plenty of literature review. If you wanted to literature review this, there's plenty of academic research on the topic. Mm -hmm. There's centers for community-based learning established at universities. You used to direct one and work at one. Um, multitudes of resources and toolkits that are online. If you do a Google search, you can find tons of toolkits online. And many schools, as you mentioned, require in your own experience, require at both the secondary and post-secondary level. In fact, if you think of brownies, people are doing service learning at like age five, yep. six, yep. seven. It's a part of our world nowadays. So how have you seen service learning or the community-based education evolve in recent years? Yeah, I think there's been a real evolution. You know, probably in the last 20 plus years, I would say there have been a lot of questions surrounding the power dynamic of service learning. Mm. Um, and, you know, for example, if we think about students coming into an organization for a short period of time, maybe with an approach and an understanding that they're there to solve a problem, right? Or meet a particular need, um, benign to sort of the intent, right? There's no, there may be no context to them surrounding the social issue that's being impacted by the work of this organization or any other kinds of dynamics at play. They're just dropped right in, right? And so I think there's a real need um, and there's been a real evolution about how do we prepare students better um, to be in these environments. I think there's questions around race and socioeconomic status of the student and the impact that that has on the experience of individuals they might serve in an organization, as well as the student themselves, right? What's the context for them in that experience? Um, and so inherent is in the issue is kind of this have and have not at play, right? And how do we sort of wrestle with that? Um, Tiana Mitchell, who's an associate professor at the University of Minnesota, has wrote a significant amount on this topic. Um, in, there's a great journal called the Michigan Journal of Community Service Learning. I would encourage folks to look it up. It's an open source journal, so all the articles are available with, without too much difficulty. But she wrote an article um, you know, really looking at uh, this idea of traditional service learning and what's now being kind of called critical service learning and developing a new model. Um, and that model is really um, drawing upon a lot of researchers in the early 2000s that started arguing, we need to infuse this experience with a social change orientation so that students understand that the work is about social change and not just not just meeting an immediate need, so to speak, right? Um, it's an opportunity to work at the redistribution of power and help folks understand um, those challenges. 
And then how do we develop authentic relationships? You know, if a student comes into an organization and they might meet somebody for a split second and assist them with whatever that need is, there's no relationship that's being developed with those those individuals or even with the organization itself. And so I think there's a real, real evolution in this area. And I, I think it's exciting, honestly, that we're actually really digging deep and trying to evolve on this. I think the other thing I'll just say, and I mentioned this earlier, is the terms are changing a lot. So very few, I would say, institutions of higher ed use service learning anymore. They use terms like community-engaged learning or community-based learning or just simply engaged learning. I think in the K-12 space, they're still using the service learning term more. Um, and then if you're really interested in digging deep and doing Google searches, I would encourage you to search engaged scholarship because that is the breadth of the academic research and work on service learning and community engagement as a whole. Um, that's the study of community engagement that scholars are doing across the, across the states and really globally. This, there's some really great things happening internationally on this um, conversation too. Um, and so, yeah, so those are just some, some thoughts about sort of how it's really evolving. Yeah, that's fantastic. And by the way, I'll do a little a little bit of searching and, and put some links in and direct links to some of the folks you're, you're mentioning. Yeah, and I, I can definitely share those articles with you as well. That'd be great. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So I think, you know, while some, some of the folks I work with, you know, leaders of volunteers in their organizations are eager to add service learning and community-based education to their mix of volunteer opportunities, in my experience, I find that people are still reluctant if they haven't been doing it or they don't have a huge mandate to do it. They're reluctant to give it a try or add it to their mix of offers. What do you think is holding volunteer-driven organizations back from tapping what I think is a phenomenal recurring source of you know, emerging talent? Yeah, I think it's it's the fear of the unknown, right? What are we getting into? <laughs> mm -hmm. I think for a lot of organizations, I think a lot of them have a misunderstanding around capacity to do this. Um, I have seen it successfully implemented in very small organizations that might have one or two full-time staff. And I've seen it done really well in very large organizations that have a lot of staff. So I, I do think it's really important for organizations to ask the question like what is it, it what is this in, you know what's in it for me what's the value add to the organization to collaborate in such a formalized way with a k-12 institution or a higher ed institution for service learning um but i really think the value add is great if if it's done well you know i mean you can look at sort of not only is there the human capital to fill kind of volunteer roles um but there's also the opportunity to bring in fresh perspectives and knowledge that maybe you didn't have before, right? Um, there's opportunity to fill gaps in expertise. So I can think of like really strong, you know, maybe there's an organization that really needs help on their social media outreach or on the development of some technology tools or websites. There are a lot of students out there that are digital natives that know this work that could really benefit an organization to help significantly do that. I mean, the one where I see great things happening oftentimes is like program evaluation. You know, organizations spend a lot of money to do program evaluation 
if they can find a, a faculty that's got expertise in that and students that are wanting to learn those processes to do a good program eval, you know, it can be a really successful partnership. Um, so there's, you know, there's a lot of things you can think about in terms of the benefits. Not only, you know, as you mentioned too, at the top of the, the cast is that, you know, these are future volunteers and future donors and future engaged citizens of our community. And if we can have a role in contributing to that and giving them a significant and lasting impression of the power of our organization and the impact we're having on the community, they are likely to return. And I have seen that many times where students might have a requirement to go, and but they have such a great experience that they're back there next semester volunteering or they're giving $5 to them instead of buying a Starbucks. You know, I mean, it's it, it really can have a significant impact on the individual student, but also be benefiting the organization as a whole. You know, I mean, I think, yeah, so I think there's there's just this fear of unknown. And really, I think the importance for an organization just to really do some introspection to see how could we do this and do it well, you know. Mm -hmm. Which goes for, you know, all volunteer roles, really. Yeah, right. Absolutely. It takes work, gang. Yeah, <laughs> it takes work. The yeah. community. Yeah. It just it's just, you know, which which uh community are you engaging? Are you deciding to gauge at this point engage at this point? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's take a quick break and when we come back, we will talk more specifically about best practices and really practical tools and practical methods we can use to really engage in a better way and not feel so stressed out about it. That's like to calm everybody down. Like, you know what? This doesn't have to be super hard. It can actually be a joyful experience for your organization. If you enjoy this week's episode of Volunteer Nation, we invite you to check out the Volunteer Pro Premium Membership. This community is the most comprehensive resource for attracting, engaging, and supporting dedicated, high-impact volunteer talent for your good cause. Volunteer Pro Premium Membership helps you build or renovate an effective What's Working Now volunteer program with less stress and more joy, so you can ditch the overwhelm and confidently carry your vision forward. It is the only implementation program of its kind and helps your organization build maturity across five phases of our proprietary system, the Volunteer Strategy Success Path. If you're interested in learning more, visit volpro.net forward slash join. Okay, we're back with our discussion with Brian Halderman about service learning, community-based learning, community engagement, whichever way you like to describe it. Let's dig into best practices and how organizations can prepare to welcome students into service. Brian, what are examples of successful service learning partnerships that you've seen? Yeah, I've seen a, a number of really helpful and, and good partnerships over the years. I think the key thing is um, for both the higher ed institution or K-12 institution that's placing students as well as the nonprofit or uh, community organization to really um, be prepared to plan a, and execute a really good program. And, and why I say that is I think it's really important, as you mentioned as well at the top of the podcast, that these relationships be mutually beneficial, right? And that the partner really be receiving a significant service and that the student be significantly receiving good learning, right? Um, right? And so I think what I think is really the the best type of service learning experiences are when they align with 
the critical unmet needs of the surrounding community. Um, and so in, in higher ed, you know, realms, they talk a lot about place-based engagement or anchor institutions. And really what that means is like looking at how do we identify um, local organizations close to campus or within, you know, walking distance or a short bus ride or a short bike trip uh, to respond to these critical needs of the community. And how do we align them to local um, identified needs? And, th and those needs are being identified, right, by local foundations or United Ways or city or county governments are doing analysis and strategic planning around how to solve large issues like generational poverty or youth literacy or financial literacy or teen pregnancy, right? Um, and I'll just use my own course example. So in San Antonio, I've taught a number of courses over the years at St. Mary's University um, and a civic engagement course that we taught, we had faculty that worked together on that curriculum and identified sort of, you know, a couple of, I think there were like four major social issues that we wanted to prepare students, uh, you know, in terms of their knowledge base on and engage them in the community around these issues. And they were food insecurity and senior isolation and youth literacy and generational poverty, big issues. But we can make it really easy to engage students with those issues by identifying core partners. So we worked with Meals on Wheels and we said to Meals on Wheels, we'll adopt two routes around campus and engage students in delivering those meals every day. And we prepared them by talking about food insecurity and senior isolation. And we had Meals and Wheels come into the classrooms and talk about uh, the experience of serving seniors in the community. And the students had a fantastic experience, you know, uh, doing that. So it was a win-win all around. Uh, we worked with a youth literacy serving organization that placed reading buddies in second grade classrooms. Um, and, you know, it, the the research out there on literacy is a student is learning to read up to second grade. When they hit third grade, they're they're reading to learn. You know, so if a student is behind on reading, it's that second grader that really needs the assistance. And so that was a great experience because students were able to go in once a week into the high into the uh, elementary schools and be a reading tutor and a reading buddy. Um, but we prepared them well about the power of you know youth literacy, but also what was the challenge in our local community on those issues. And the other thing I will say is the faculty member has to communicate to the partner what the learning outcomes are. I think there's a disconnect there oftentimes. And so if you're from a partner perspective, working with a faculty member or working with a center on a campus, ask the question, what do you hope the student's going to learn? <laughs> right? How can you play a part in being a co-educator in that experience? Um, and helping to facilitate some good reflection and understanding. The other key piece is how do you prepare the student well? I think sometimes organizations run them through their general volunteer training, and I don't think that's enough. I think they really need to understand more about the social issue that they're impacting, more about the mission of the organization and history of the organization. You know, give the students a little more than what you might even do with a general volunteer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think, too, just generally about how the nonprofit sector or in some cases it's a uh, government sector mm -hmm. or public sector, how it operates in general. I think, yes. you know, when we work in the field for so long, we assume even other types of volunteers, we assume they know our jargon. They we assume they understand why or why things why things can or cannot be done. 
you know, I think this sector is more complicated than people give it credit. But if you're living it and breathing it every day, you don't really think that you have to give people a little bit of overview of how it all works behind the scenes. Yes, absolutely. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. So if an organization wanted to take the plunge, a nonprofit, what is some practical advice you could offer in addition to understanding those learning outcomes? I think sometimes people forget that it is about learning here. Mm -hmm. And again, I, I, I totally resonated when you were talking about how young people are building sort of their emerging philanthropy chops in a lot of ways, you know, they're thinking, you know, they're starting to realize community issues. They're starting to realize where their passions lie. They're starting, you know, at some point when an ask is made of them, when they are transitioning into the workforce, they're going to be more likely to pick up on it and go, yeah, I understand this issue. I understand it well because I had personal lived experience working in helping solve it. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Absolutely. I think, um, I would say I would start, you know, in terms of practical advice, I would really start with saying to the, to an organization, do a little bit of internal assessment in terms of looking at what your needs are as an organization and where you think students that are in a service learning type of experience could help fill those needs. Um, you don't want students to come and just necessarily be doing busy work, you know, <laughs> putting, you know, filing papers for you or that kind of thing. But what's going to give the student a significant, impactful experience in your organization? So really thinking about what are the roles they could fill, um, you know, and then think about what's the return on investment for you, right? So you are investing time, staff time, energy, um, engagement to really work with these students, just like you would with any other volunteers that you might be hosting. Um, but really think about what's that return and is it is it worth the partnership and the effort and the energy, right? And then think about the capacity to really support student learners. As I said, it takes work and it's really important for the organization to see themselves as co-educator and understand what their role is in supporting the students and in hosting them um, at their organization. I think the other thing, other piece of advice I would say is, you know, in being a proactive approach here is to go prepare to an institution. So if you really come up with this idea like, yeah, we can, we need to host students, this is great. Um, if you just call up the organization or the institution's center for community engagement and say, we wanna have service learning students, their first question to you is, well, what are your needs and what kind of department do you think you could work with? And they're gonna ask you lots of questions. Whereas if you come in more prepared to say, okay, how can we make this a mutually beneficial partnership? That's not a one and done, but it's a long lasting partnership that semester to semester, I'm going to be working with the same faculty member or a series of faculty members in the same department, and they're going to be sharing, sending students to us. So really think strategically about, you know, again, what's in it for you and what's in it for them and go in prepared to have that conversation. You know, search for the right contact on the campus. Sometimes this can be hard and some campuses are really doing a better job of that to communicate to the community. This is who you contact. But look for an office of community engagement or service learning or student service or volunteerism or civic engagement, right? The, there are many campuses have those types of offices. And don't approach the institution thinking it's going to happen next week. You know, I mean, <laughs> again, preparation, be proactive. But I would say be prepared to have this conversation and not see students place for six months to a year, you know. And hmm. why I say that is, you know, everything works on an academic calendar. And faculty are preparing these courses months ahead, 
right? So if you if you approach them in July and expect to have students in August, you might get lucky and have students in August, but it's more likely you're not going to have students until the spring semester. You know, um, it takes time to identify who are the faculty we're going to work with, who are the groups of students, you know, that we're going to work with, and really for that that to get off off the ground. And then lastly, I would say clear expectations, right? So what is expected from the organization and supervising the student and co-educating the student? Um, what's the preparation that's needed um, to orient the student? And, you know, what are the expectations, you know, from the institutional side as well? You know, from, you know, what can you expect from, uh, you know, what is, how are they gonna prepare the students, you know, for in terms of the faculty or the institution of higher ed? Um, so really just having clarification. So in summary, do an internal assessment, go prepared with a plan, you know, being proactive in that approach, identify the right offices and contacts, know it's going to take some time and clear expectations. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I think when people are figuring out, okay, well, how could a student help our organization? Where's the ROI for us? There's so many, you know, it's it's like when you're thinking about um, pro bono or skills-based volunteering, there are a million ways. And if you think about it, students are in classes, you know, like you mentioned, program assessment or yeah. organizational assessment, communications, social media, marketing, people are in school learning the what's working now tactics, yeah. right? They're business, learning business exactly. plan, you know, business plans, marketing, social work students, you know, education students, you, you name it. And I would also say the variety of service learning. So it's not just students in an academic course, but you also could get students who are having to need an internship placement or a practica placement. Um, you could get students who are on a community-based work study where they're actually getting paid for their time in your organization, you know? So there could be some real significant uh, benefits to the organization. Yeah, I really think that organizations shouldn't be scared off by the six month to year prep. Once you establish a relationship with a faculty member, and I, I recommend starting with one person, just starting small. Once you do that, you can develop something that can be repeated. And I think also, people in nonprofits have to realize whatever they're developing or whatever they're offering at their nonprofit is impacting that faculty member in terms of their planning for their class. They need to prepare uh, students for your workplace and they need to decide Absolutely. when they're gonna offer that course. So there's a lot of, co you know, when you say you're co-producing that, those learning outcomes or you're co-planning that curriculum, I, I think that's totally the case. I don't think people often think of it that way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I would say be leery of uh, of a student who comes and says, I just have this service requirement for my class that I need to get done. Right. Uh, I would ask more questions. Oh, what's the course? What are your learning outcomes? <laughs> you know, who's the faculty? Uh, because, you know, a faculty should be really embedding this in the curriculum. They should know who their partners are that students are working with. Um, I, you know, I really when I work with faculty in, in, in my past years and working with faculty, I always say to them, you know, identify some core organizations you're going to work with, make sure you reach out to them, know who they are, set the expectations, have those conversations, right? So as much as you approaching, uh, you know, an institutional moderator, a faculty, a faculty member might approach you, right? So be prepared for that. The other thing I would say is there's lots of ways you can utilize students, um, you know, beyond just a, a traditional service learning course. There's 
internships and practica and community-based work study students who are being paid to be placed in your organization. So there's lots of great opportunities to, you know, collaborate and work with institutions and, and really benefit the organization overall. Yeah. Let me ask you a couple of follow-up questions. These questions come from leaders of volunteers all the time. They're super. First question mm-hmm. is, do I need to pay a service learning or a community-based uh, student? Yeah, for the most part, the answer to that is no. Um, there are some models of community-based work study where the institution might be asked to invest a portion of you know the overall salary of that student. Um, but in my experience, the the program I ran, we fully funded it. So the, the partner was never asked for any funding. Um, but that that varies, you know, depending on the institution you might work with. But for the most part, okay. no, there's no funding. Okay. needed. that's a, that's a great question, except staff time, of course, staff time, <laughs> staff right, time. of course. Yeah. Uh, and then the yeah. second question I hear a ton, a ton is, hey, I engaged these these students, how do I get them to keep coming back? What are your thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you hear that a lot? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. And that's, that's really great. That's a great question. And I think some folks drop the ball here, right? So what I was saying is, you know, one is, I think it's really important to provide a significant and impactful experience for the student. So again, they're in a role where they are interacting with your clientele or they're really feeling the benefit of the work of the organization in the role that they're doing. Um, And then when you know that the semester is coming to an end or that their time with the organization is coming to an end, uh, I, I would I would be marketing you know, ways to, for them to continue to be involved with the organization, right? So, hey, we have an opportunity coming up. Would you like to help support this, this event or this, you know, we'd love to have you to keep coming back. Can we interest you in coming back next? You know, and you have to also be understanding of a student might not live in your local community. They might be there for the semester and go back home for the summer. But hey, when they're back in the fall, they'd, they'd love to volunteer, right? So you also have to be flexible in that regard. But take the opportunity to really engage students and, and invite them back. I think invitation is really important. Yeah, I also think people are, students are, their number one goal in life at the moment is to get as many learning experiences as they can, as many Absolutely. workplace yeah. experiences as they can. So if you're offering them, hey, just stick around and keep doing the safe, same thing, you know, their job is to add experience to their resume and become employable. And so if you want folks to stick around and help, you've got to add more value to what they can learn, what they can add to their resume. So talking to them about, you know, where do you want to grow? What are other areas of need you see in our organization? How can that match? What classes are you taking next semester? All kinds of, you know, really make it a, a more of a consultative process, I think is also helpful. Yeah, and that's a great point. I've seen students re- move into general, being a general volunteer to being an intern in an organization and then even later getting hired at an organization. I had community-based work-study students. I had a great experience where a student was an accounting major. Um, she was a work-study working with me. She really wanted to hone her skills in nonprofit accounting. We found an arts organization in town that was looking for a student and in their accounting office, was a a match made in heaven. The student had a great experience. She was there a year on the work-study program. The work-study funds ran out and they hired her. Fantastic. Right? 
turned into a job. So, yeah. you know, great experiences that students can have if you really leverage them well. On the flip side, what do you think is the biggest mistake, the number one biggest mistake people make when setting up these types of projects or partnerships? I think not being thoughtful and intentional about the partnership. Um, you know, it's more than just you need volunteers and students need hours, right? I think it's um, if, if we're not thoughtful and intentional about the partnership, we there's opportunities missed. Um, if there's just no communication between campus and the partner or the faculty member and the partner, uh, I, I just think there's, you know, that's a shame. <laughs> so like, I, I just really dislike when faculty say, oh, I want you to do 20 hours in the community, right? What's the connection, you know? And so I think if you experience that as a partner, I would go to the institution and say, we don't want to do that anymore. Right. How do we develop significant partnerships where students can really build authentic relationships with our organization and with our clientele? Um, and we can build a significant relationship with you all and with faculty on campus. Yeah. Yeah. I love that piece of advice. Have the conversation if it's not working out. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> I think organizations I mean, just go, hey, well, I guess it's not working out. This isn't going to work out. We're not going to do this anymore. Rather yeah. than saying, hey, is there something we can do to improve the situation? Right. And the last thing you want is, you know, to to start on, embark on this endeavor with a campus and then not feel like you're getting good value out of it or getting the service that you need rendered from the experience. Right. And so you need to have that conversation for sure. Fantastic. Brian, this has been a fantastic conversation. I hope that it is inspiring you as you listen out there, our dear listeners, that this is absolutely doable. It's very exciting to, you know, I used to work in youth programs, so I have a certain soft spot for youth and young adults, but there are fresh ideas out there. Students are learning things in class that they could bring as value to your organization. Now, they're not going to be, you know, expert in the workplace environment yet. That's they're they're in learning mode. So, you know, we have to help guide them. But again, as I said earlier, we're we're developing the next generation of nonprofit leaders. They will come from our service learning and our community-based education students. They'll come from our national service members. That's where people are dipping their baby toe into our sector and saying, huh, this is really interesting. I mean, I've worked in nonprofits and public sector organizations my entire career. I could never leave because I loved it that much. Those people are out there now. I started when I was in my tw early 20s working in the sector. So, And I started, my very first quote unquote job was an internship, yep. an unpaid yep. internship. So um, Brian, one last question as we wrap up, what are you most excited about in the year ahead? I think I'm really excited about kind of the evolving um, conversation that's happening, particularly in higher ed circles. I've been to a number of virtual and in-person conferences this year where there's been a lot of emphasis on diversity, equity, and inclusion in our work in higher ed and particularly how that aligns with community engagement and service learning initiatives. And that is just so exciting to me. I mean, all that's been happening in the world with COVID and the racial injustice and the Black Lives Matter movement and, and these kinds of things, I think this gives me a lot of hope for the deepening of critical service learning practice, what I was talking about earlier, and students being placed with organizations to not only be of service, but to deeply learn about issues of exclusion and injustice and oppression 
and, and sort of what their role is in the world to help advance the common good in an equitable and sustainable way. So that gives me a lot of hope. For sure. I mean, think about that. Part of your early learning, having a place to explore your feelings. I mean, I really believe in that volunteerism in, in general for all types of volunteers is a great place to start to experience people who are different than you. And you, when you bump into people who are different than you, you call it calls into question some of your maybe long held biases you might have. Wow, that, that person isn't really how I thought they would be, you know? Yeah. So I think it's a great way for us to rebuild communities after, you know, we've had a pretty tough time lately. So yeah. And, and one last piece of advice I would give to organizations in this area, particularly too, is, um, you know, is don't be afraid to expose students in one-time experiences with your organization, because those one-time experiences can lead to a snowball effect of the student wanting to come back or wanting to deepen a relationship with an organization. And particularly if they see there's opportunities to learn on these particular issues and to expand their horizon. I mean, I think about my own experience as a young person, and it was, you know, these slow introductions to organizations as maybe a one-time volunteer at an event or an opportunity that led me deeper into the conversation and deeper into the experiences. So open up your doors for those opportunities too. Mm, fantastic. Great way to wrap up. So Brian, tell us how people can learn more about GivePulse and get in touch with you if they have more questions. Yeah, so for sure, access the show notes where we've got some links and I've um, shared some blog posts, um, particularly on service learning and community engagement work uh, on those blog posts. But givepulse.com is the best place, G-I-V-E-P-U-L-S-E.com. Um, or I'm happy to get email from folks. I, I can be reached at Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at givepulse.com. Fantastic. Brian, thanks so much for being one of our early uh interviewees on Volunteer Nation. It's so exciting to talk about this. I'm so happy to be able to share, you know, maybe just inspire people if they've had a hard time with students in the past or they've never tried working with students to just give them the courage to step up again. This field is evolving quickly. There is so many conversations. There are so many resources. We'll have lots in the show notes. And I'm just happy you were here to share this with us. It's a real honor. Thank you for the invitation and a pleasure to work with you on this. And hopefully this is the, the first of many more conversations we can have on and to support this work and elevate this work in, in the community engagement space. Thank you. Volunteer Nation is produced by Thick Skin Media. Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more tips and notes from the show, check us out at tobyjohnson.com. We hope to see you next week for another episode of Volunteer Nation.